Hey, welcome to the Awesome Life Podcast. I'm Karen Stultz, and this is where my guests and I offer you tips and inspiration to have your awesome life. Hello there. Hello there. Welcome back to another episode of the Awesome Life Podcast. I am so excited to be here. And, you know, this podcast is for women in transition, especially female leaders in transition. And my guests and I want to inspire you and give you some tips and tools and support wherever we can to to have that amazing, inspirational joy. It's, it's joy that we're looking for. It's the awesomeness in our life that we're looking for. And so the guests that I have, as you know, my guests are absolutely awesome. And this wonderful guest is no less than that. His name is Dr. Jonathan Marion. And he is an amazing, uh, he has a background in anthropology. Is that correct? Yes, in cultural anthropology. And uh, well, let me read you a little bit about his uh, his bio here, and we'll go into a lot more of that. But uh, Dr. Jonathan Marion believes that when we live, connect, and communicate authentically, we send out ripples, which send out more ripples, which make the world a more caring and connected place, one ripple at a time. Having seen this dynamic over 20 plus years as an award-winning cultural anthropologist, professor, and author, Jonathan feels that how we show up is the key to living a deeply meaningful and fulfilling life, aka awesome. And now he works as a transformational life coach to be a catalyst for exactly such transformations. That is a big transformation that you achieved, being an anthropology uh, professor turned life coach and and nomad. But we'll get into that. So welcome, Jonathan. Thank you so much for being on the Awesome Life podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. Happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about how that occurred. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I was on a research leave uh, from the university where I was working in the first half of 2019 and in Brazil doing research and staying with a really good friend of mine in Rio de Janeiro, but not one of the tourist areas, one of the areas where you know a lot of locals live. And there was one day I was sitting in the living room there and I'm going, wait a minute, this person, um, my friend Geronimo, very generously gives me a spare room to stay at when in his house, but it's smaller than my closet of my master suite in my house back home. (laughs) But I feel more at home here. What's that about? And so when I really started to dive inside and think about it, I realized that as much as anything else, It had to do with the friends I had in Brazil. They knew what I did professionally. They were proud of me. They were proud for me, but they didn't care. They loved me, the person, not any of the external measures of success. And it was a real sort of moment of, wait a minute, I can't keep going down this route, especially in academia where it's, you know, what's your latest publication? 
Um, what's your latest grant? What are your teaching evals? And it's always these external measures. And so that's when I said, I need to look at something different. And when I then reflected on what it was I was doing as a professor, uh, you know, tenured faculty member, the job is 40% research, 40% teaching, and 20% service. And so I said, okay, research, I'm good at it. I have multiple published books. Uh, the most recent one had won an award. I'm good at it. I don't love it. Professional service. I've been the president of a couple of national organizations. I'm good at it. I don't love it. Teaching. Okay, there's something there. But it's not the in the classroom delivering content. More than anything else, it was the like 10 or 15 minutes before class or after class when students had their own questions or when I was working with my graduate students who were working on their MA or PhD projects. And it was really about helping them decide and figure out what their questions were and how they were going to find their own answers and being the support structure for that. And the more I thought about that, okay, helping you figure out your questions and how you're going to get your own answers. Now we're talking life coaching. Oh, I love that. So you really did take a lot of time to do some soul searching on your own. I did. Uh, I don't think as far as, you know, how long a period it was, it was all that long. But again, I was on a research leave. So I was there living amongst, uh, you know, friends and going out into uh, different dance community settings because that's what I was doing research on was uh, the dance form of Brazilian Zouk. Um, I have former publications on competitive ballroom and salsa all before the TV shows even started. Um, and so a lot of that has to do with people who are actually living in their skin, right? I mean, it's these embodied practices. You can't be dancing in the past. You can't be dancing in the future. You can think about those things, but you have to be present. And so I had a lot of time to just be present and spent a lot of time, even if it wasn't across a very elongated you know, frame, um, really thinking through what were the things that mattered to me. That is so cool. So while you were actually dancing, you know, that that is something that we all do as life coaches is say, you know, if you're not feeling really great, get up and move, get up and dance. And you are putting a whole different perspective on what that can do for you. Not only does it get the body moving, but it actually sounds like it helps you tremendously. Absolutely. And especially because the dance forms I've been involved in are partner dance forms. Well, that doesn't mean that it's just about the partnership, because like any partnership in life, it's what each person brings and then how those things can be synergized. Right. So it's who I am and how I'm showing up matters more than any technique I've learned when I'm going to partner someone. And again, it's the same thing in any relationship in life, but it's just a form where it's so present. And again, you could dance with 20 people in a night. And so it's always, am I present with myself? How am I present with this person? And it doesn't look the same with different people. And it doesn't look the same with the same person from one night to the next. And that's the true of us all in life. Too often we think, you know, this is the person who I relate with in this way. You don't have the same conversation with the people closest to you every time. It's here's someone I really enjoy talking to, but what's the conversation right here and now? 
I love that. I love that. It, it's it's basically it's being present with your individual that you were working with, whether it be in the coaching realm or on the dance floor or as a spouse or or in business even when you were a teacher. It's the same same thing as to be able to be present and to hear what's going on. And I have to ask you though, getting off topic a little bit. <laughs> Please. We're all humans and it's all connected. I I I love dancing. I love dancing, but I like free flow dancing. So, all right, you teach me the foxtrot or the samba or the cha-cha or something, and that's all fine and dandy, but I just want the basics. And then I want to just take my lead from my partner. And so when you were dancing, were you following all the same steps? And so it was like a class. This was we're giving a recital. We have to practice the same format all the time. No, absolutely not. Uh, I have background in salsa. I have background in ballroom, but I've always been more interested in social dancing, which means that those classes and those particular moves, if you want to call it, it's like learning the grammar and the vocabulary. That doesn't mean that I want to recite a poem where it's the same poem each time, even if I inflect it differently. It's I want to learn more vocabulary so that I can express things in different ways and have different conversations. And so especially with Brazilian Zouk, Z-O-U-K, if anyone's interested in looking it up, uh, it really, to me, involves more dimensions. There's more, you know, change of axis and tilts and twirls and you see these you know hair motions and um again artificially it could look like you're actually moving your head but you're not it's the same as when we all go to concerts and we like the music and our body sways and then the head comes after and so it's about you know how are you actually just inviting those things and then how does someone actually feel it in their own body and you work from that it's not here's what we're doing it's you know I'm inviting it over here. And I think the most important thing that I learned, and it applies to coaching so much, is it's all about the power of the response. Because if I'm interviewing someone, you know, in a formal setting, I have a preset list of questions. And that's fine. That serves a purpose. But if we're truly having a conversation, the person who asked the question actually uses the least amount of time. And the direction of the conversation depends much more on the person responding. So when I'm leading a partner in dance, yes, I'm inviting a certain movement, but how they interpret that, what their body does with that, that influences the shape of our dance far more. That's the same in life coaching, right? Yes, I'm going to give you a prompt because I'm trying to shine a flashlight on, you know, what's going on where maybe it's a little less clear for you. But you're the one who decides where this goes. I'm not the expert in you. And this is where my cultural anthropology background comes in. Because as a cultural anthropologist, I would never go into a different cultural setting and think I knew more than the people I was with. I'm there to understand what's going on for them. And because I have some outside perspective, I may be able to translate it in a different way. But they're the experts. And that's what we do as coaches, too. You're the expert in you, not me. 
I just have a perspective and I can be a mirror that may be a little clearer than when you're in the midst of it yourself. I love that. That is such a simple yet powerful and perfect explanation of what life coaching is. So you, you ask those questions and uh, let them lead. A good coach is always someone who listens mm -hmm. and, and allows. Absolutely. So one of the things, the analogy from dance is a good leader actually follows the follow. And that's what we do in coaching. I can, you know, suggest a direction, but it doesn't matter whether we go that direction or not. What matters is what does that mean to you? Mm. And the other analogy I use is because um, so many people have heard the term coach and think more of the sports analogy, like I'm going to tell you what to do. And they're really looking for a mentor or a consultant. And there's nothing wrong with those. If that's what's going to serve you, either find that or find someone who does blended coaching and can offer that. But strict coaching in the life coaching sense is I'm walking next to you with the flashlight. If I'm behind you, your body's casting a shadow neither of us can see. If I'm in front of you, I can see and you can't. If I'm next to you, I'm just shining it in front of you. You decide where we go because I don't know which path you want. I'm just making sure it's clear so that you can decide mindfully. I like that. I really do. And and it is. That's why I call myself more of a mentor because I, I my certifications up the yin yang in in coaching of every aspect of coaching. And I realized that if somebody is really struggling, I couldn't see their pain. They they didn't they don't we don't know what we don't know. Mm -hmm. So true. And to see their pain, it was just more than I could handle. If I had a, a good idea of what it might be. And by asking that question, it can also enlighten them to, well, no, that's not it. However, this is, it, it gives them that prompt. And, but it also is, all right, that's exactly it. What do we do about it now? All right, so this is what, and that's where I, all right, I'm more of a mentor. <laughs> but again, there's, there's what serves each person. Exactly. Right. And there's nothing wrong with offering, you know, blended offerings, but it's all about, you know, the transparency so that it's ethical. And so if you're providing what someone wants and needs, that's fantastic because everyone needs something different. Yeah. It's all about what it is that you you want and, and getting clear on that and, and what you are, are doing and when you were working it sounded like uh, as a teacher what you were wanting was that connection with the students but the achieving of that only happened in those few minutes in and out of class with only a couple of students at a time did that bring up a lot of stress for you when it started to become obvious that you maybe were not happy um, so I think part of that is academia has shifted a lot. And so I had been, you know, faculty member for well over 20 years at that point um, in different capacities. And uh, it's not true everywhere, but I think more and more uh, 
universities are looked at in a business model. And when the upper administration started including questions on, uh, you know, they're called student evaluations, but really it's satisfaction reports. It's not an evaluation. You don't have the framework to evaluate the effectiveness of the teaching. You can certainly say, you know, how much you liked it. What was your satisfaction with it? But when there started to be questions, how useful or how important was this class for your future career? That's when I was like, no, maybe if you're 18 or 19, you don't know the answer to that. And maybe not every class needs to be about career. Maybe it needs to be about, you know, how do I ask questions about the world? How do I understand things going on around me? What are my values? How do I understand people who maybe have different backgrounds than I do? Like, ultimately, that's, of course, about your career, because it's about how we interact with everyone and everything. But maybe at, you know, 19 years old, 20 years old, you don't see that yet. And when the entire framework that I was working within, you know, was basically treating every class as aggrandized, you know, job certification. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with trade schools. Again, I'm a cultural anthropologist. I go and study from people who there is no formal education, and I'm the student. There's so many ways to have knowledge, to have wisdom that are equally valuable. But within this framework, it didn't make any sense to me to say that everything just has to be about employment. So, yeah, bringing that, that really could be very stressful, couldn't it? You know, when it's all about mm -hmm. employment, when maybe that's not what you want, mm -hmm. right? It was really funny. Uh, the last 10 years of my career, I was at the University of Arkansas in uh, Northwest uh, Arkansas. But before that, I had been in Southern California doing part-time uh, work at different universities. And at one of them where I was up for and then won an award, um, for teaching for uh, the best lecturer at the university that year, there was, you know, one of the paperwork forms was about, you know, what do you teach? And afterwards, I realized that no one else interpreted it the way I did. Everyone else was saying what subject they taught. And I'm like, I teach students. And then I was explaining all of the things that I did to meet them where they were pedagogically, um, you know, as far as delivery, as far as understanding them and treating them each as an individual and, you know, the respect. And it, did, it didn't occur to me that they meant what subject was it. You know, the subject's the subject. I don't care what you teach. Like, it's still there. It's not going anywhere. I'm not trying to teach anthropology. I'm trying to convey anthropological concepts to students in a way that's valuable to them. I that is so fantastic. It, it goes back to what I always say is perception is truth and truth is perception. You change your truth, you change perception, you change perception, you change your truth. And and I I really am drawn to you, Jonathan, because that just sounds like me. It's like everybody else is is answering the questions the way it's supposed to be answered and and I answer it in a way that that seemed right to me. That's the way I understood. Am I am I the odd person out? Did you ever that have that feeling of, gee, everyone else is just saying 
I, I'm teaching this subject and, and I, I'm telling you the truth. This is what I, I I'm teaching concepts for students. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, honestly, because I think that what happens is I really believe that more people think in different ways if you really take them outside of the context. And I think there are as many ways of thinking as there are people, and probably more, because I don't think the same way every time. And I'm guessing no one else does either. But we get caught up in these routines and we get clued into in this context, here is what I'm supposed to, as you just used the word, say or do or how I'm supposed to interpret it. Um, and we lose sight of, wait, what's actually true to me? And that's where my idea about authenticity and how we show up is. And supposed to is very synonymous with should. And one of the things that I really try and start a lot of my clients out with is shifting that. Because how often is it, you know, my boss should have recognized my efforts. My coworker should have done their fair share. My children should have listened to me. The service should have been faster. I should have eaten healthier. Well, you're fighting with what is, what actually happened. What do you want to do now? As long as you're stuck in should, you're fighting with what is. And it's what Karen Horney in the 1950s referred to as the tyranny of the shoulds. And so what I do with all of my clients is I basically have them start a should journal. And anytime they say or even think should to themselves, write it down and it's okay. We all have those thoughts. But at the end of the day, I want you to go back, cross out the should and rewrite it with could. My boss could have recognized my work. My coworker could have done their fair share. My children could have listened to me. The service could have been faster. I could have eaten more healthy. Okay, now we're dealing with what is. And it didn't happen. So what do you want to do now? Very profound. Very profound. I love that. And you, you really have taken all of this knowledge that you have achieved through your years of education and experience. And you left that security of academia. And as I mentioned in the intro, became a nomad. And was that a very stressful transformation that you did? Yes. Yeah, so there's a missing transition in there. So it was the first half of 2019 when I was in Brazil and realized I wanted to go in a different direction. I did the research and really found that life coaching was, you know, what I wanted to do and where I felt I could, you know, really be the most authentically me and offering the most back. And I researched the different programs. And then when I got back to the U.S. in, I think it was June of that year, uh, you know, got in touch with a couple of programs that were at the top of my list and found the one I was going to go with. 
Now, an interesting piece is while I was in Brazil, um, one of the instructors I worked with in Sao Paulo in uh, March of 2019, best human being I know, we had a long conversation about the difference between valuing doing versus being. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so much of our society today. It's, you know, the what and the doing and the achieving. And I really thought I was on team being. I really thought I understood it. And then in early November of 2019, there was one day I had just gotten back from a conference in San Diego. I knew my back had been stiff the last couple of days and especially driving back from the airport. I thought I was gonna go to the chiropractor that day. And on November 4th, 2019, I went to get out of bed and the minute I put any weight on my right leg, there was this lightning bolt of excruciating pain that shot through. And I collapsed to the ground and I had to drag myself on my elbows to even get across the room. And through a lot of mismanagement and mishandling, we didn't even have the correct diagnosis for more than a month and a half. Uh, but basically it turned out that there was actual uh, nerve damage uh, L3 on my right side. For five weeks, I couldn't even roll over on a side on my own. Mm. And I was flat on my back. And then I was only able to start walking unassisted again right as the pandemic hit. Mm. But during those five weeks, when I was literally flat on my back and having to post on, you know, my social media, you know, anyone local who can stop by for even 10 minutes a day. I need you to refill a water bottle. I need you to mix me a protein shake. I need you to empty a portable urinal. Those are not the things that, you know, we look to people who aren't the very closest to us. But I didn't have any family within multiple states and they weren't available and, you know, really, really vulnerable and helpless. And it's so amazing when you reach out because some of the people I expected to show up didn't happen. But people I never would have guessed in a million years, they were there. Mm -hmm. But I really had to go much deeper with that whole existential challenge of being versus doing. Because I couldn't do any of the things I had done before. I couldn't do everyday basic tasks for myself. And all of that time and training I had just put in in Brazil, working on my own dancing. Who knows about dancing? I don't know if I'm going to walk again. And so if it's just me being Jonathan, do I have the same value? Am I the same person? And so that was a real dive into, you know, where is the value in who I am? Mm. And that was part of what, as I was then coming out of that and we were in the pandemic and I was teaching online, then it became, okay, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know, you know, as far as what I'm going to do going forward, but how do I want to be in the world? And it wasn't in the capacity I was when I was still at the university. So were there major challenges? Absolutely. You know, I sold a house. I left a career uh, in, I was already in the transition of that when at the very beginning of 22, my mother got very ill and passed very quickly. And I then had to deal with you know, hospital, uh, you know, legal, financial, uh, burial, 
hospice right before all of that. But it wasn't hard. And it's so weird to say that. I was so clear on what mattered that even though I'd had a very problematic history with my mother for a very long time, no one's fault. She had had brain damage in a car accident when I was 18 years old. And so it was over 30 years of trying to interact with that. And she was highly functional in some ways, but not in others. And so again, no one's fault, but just very challenging. But it was very clear to me, you know, in those final days, weeks, it was less than two weeks from the time I got there till she was gone. How did I want to show up? I just wanted to show up as someone who she knew without a shadow of a doubt loved her and supported her. So fine, there's a long, complicated history. So what? It doesn't matter in this moment. Your intentions, it's all about your intentions. How did I want to show up? How did I want to be? How? Why am I here? Because you could, with a turbulent history together, you could have said, well, you know, fine and dandy. I should, I should go because she's my mom. But to be able to say, no, my intention is to let her know that she is loved. Yeah, so you bring up a lot of really interesting words right there, right? So there was the should, right? And it's, yeah, I could or I could not, but I wanted to. And a lot of it had to do with, as you just said, how do I want to be? And I think that's such a powerful question. And so there's lots of good work about why. You can go back to Viktor Frankl and Logotherapy and Man's Search for Meaning, the title of the book, um, not me, uh, not recognizing gender difference. Um, or you can go to Simon Sinek and, you know, start with why and his amazing work. And I really recommend all of it. But when we're in the midst of something, when we're dealing with like all of these conflicting pressures, obligations, emotions, sometimes getting in touch with the why is too big for the moment. Yeah. But I can always ask, how do I want to be? And I can do it bigger scale. How do I want to be in this relationship? How do I want to be in this environment? How do I want to be with this person? But I can do it in the micro scale. How do I want to be in this one interaction? How do I want to be at this one, you know, family get together? How do I want to be in this one phone call? How do I want to be in this one job interview? And so it makes it much more approachable to focus on the how instead of the what. And then the other word you brought up that I think is so important is intention. And so I think as long as we're talking about how do I want to be and what's my intention for myself, so valuable and so important to consider. The minute that we have an intention for how something's going to turn out, we've actually really entered a danger zone because I have no way to control how things are going to land for someone else, what's going on. And so one of the other shifts, um, I already talked about shifting should to could. I really try and shift intention, not for myself, but for anything else, to interest. Mm -hmm. I can influence how I'm going to show up. I have an intention for that. I'm then going to show up open-minded. I'm interested. And that can be in really loaded situations. That can be about, am I keeping a job? That can be about, you know, the most important partner in my life. But the minute I have an intention for how something is going to influence someone else, it's about control. Absolutely. As a, exactly. And as opposed to, here's how I want to show up, and I'm interested in an outcome. 
but I'm not trying to influence it because again, that's fighting with what is. You can never, you can never control another person. You can only control yourself and how you respond to those situations. And if you have the intention of for yourself, as you were saying, what is going back? What is my intention for being here? Mm-hmm. Being true to yourself. Then you can look at other things with that interest of, oh, well, let me think about that. Yeah, that doesn't quite compute for me. That's, that's curious. It's almost a curiosity of how other people are, are responding to things. But if you can be true to the reason that you are doing something for yourself, it makes it a whole lot easier in those situations. I know when I was caring for my parents, I thought I swore up and down I would never spend the night in that house again until they got sick. Mm-hmm. And then five years later, I was in the house for five years. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> 24-7 almost. I did have some respite and some help, but it, and, and a child, oh, well, that's interesting, I, I said to myself, and uh, okay, well, <laughs> that taught me never say never, because you don't know. We change as human beings, right? Exactly, and I also think it's really important to acknowledge, like, yes, you can look at it with curiosity and interest, but that doesn't mean that it's detached or that it doesn't sometimes hit really deeply that's true. so i remember it was early 2020 and i was still in uh, physical therapy and recovering and um i'd been involved in long distance which i mean it happens a lot when you travel a lot but a long distance relationship which to that point had been the single best relationship of my life and again, I wasn't super mobile. It was long distance. And so we ended up um, breaking up over the phone. And it caught me a little by surprise. Um, some of that was we had spoken many nights in a row. And some of that was she had intended for it to happen already. But then she caught that I was, you know, finishing an overnight deadline for an article. And then I hadn't slept in 24 hours getting it in. And she's an amazing person and wasn't going to like put that on top of it. But so I thought, you know, in my back of my head, being really overtired and overworked, it was like, oh, okay, we're talking every night. Didn't see it coming. And it caught me off guard. And yeah, there was a lot of feelings. And I don't know how it came to me. And I just thank the universe that all the work I'd been doing just put me in the right place to be able to come up with it. But I remember sitting, I remember which chair I was sitting in and the house before I sold it. And we were on the phone and there were these tears streaming down my face. And, you know, I said, give me one second. And I remember going inside my head. And it's now what I call future casting, which is if things are overwhelming now, what is the five year from now version of me going to want to do? Because we've all had that, whether it's two hours from now, two weeks from now, two months from now, the, oh, I wish I had said X. I wish I had done Y. And I was like, what's future Jonathan going to have wanted this moment to be like? How was I going to want to have shown up right now? 
And I didn't have the label future casting at the time, but I very clearly remember being able to say to her, again, tears streaming down my face, like, I'm so thankful for, you know, this relationship and for everything we've shared and for you being you. And again, I didn't have an intention for it to go a different way, but I knew how I wanted to show up. And again, it wasn't what was in the moment like, oh yeah, that's easy to say, but it was, I don't have this moment again in the future. How am I gonna wanna have looked back at this? And with the distance I'll have later, how will I have wanted to handle this? So powerful, so powerful that you were able to do that in, in a very stressful situation, absolutely. And wow, that is great. So this is what you help your your clients handle and and uh, be able to instill in themselves so that they can care for themselves and relieve some of that stress and and help them transition into being the person that they want to be. Absolutely. And again, that being is so important. And it's so important to me that that's actually the acronym that I use for my entire model to coaching. Oh, I love it. Tell us. Absolutely. So the B is for begin where you are. Because I think so often when we know that we want a change or a shift, we just start trying to do something. And I get it. The impulse is real. The energy is real. The need is real. But if you're talking, getting, you know, on your phone and, you know, trying to map something or a GPS in your car, it needs to have a signal to know where it is before it can map anything. And if you look at, you know, old paper maps, yeah, they can be the best ones in the world, the most accurate. But if you don't know where you're actually starting from, you can't navigate anywhere. And so the first phase of that being strategy is really taking stock. It's going, what's actually going on? Not the, how do you think things should look or where do you wish they were? But it's what's actually the case. And that includes, you know, what are obstacles, but also what are opportunities? What are strengths? What are challenges and why are those challenges? And so we start with B for begin where you are. Next, E is explore where you want to go. And to use the travel analogy, it's easy to say, I want to go on vacation. Great. But some people want to go where there, you know, are museums and ruins. Some people want to go to the beach. Some people like the mountains. There is no correct answer. And at different points in our lives, we may have different things in mind. You may want to go somewhere different when you happen to be single, you happen to have a partner, you happen to have children. Different things are going to be appealing at different times in your life. If you are going with your children, how old are they? It's going to change what you want. So let's explore that. And to you know translate that back into you know a real world example, too often we got caught up in like, okay, I'm going to apply for you know, the promotion at work. Why? And I'm not saying one shouldn't. If it's something you really want and, you know, that's the career you want to progress in and it's a good opportunity or it gives you more of what you want, great, go for it. 
But so often I end up hearing people, well, you know, I'll get a better office. Okay, why does that matter? I'll get a raise. Okay, great. I get it. But what comes with that? And so if it becomes, well, then I'll be able to go on vacation with my family, you know, and afford more. Why is that important? Well, spending time with them is the thing I treasure the most. Okay, great. Are you going to have more time to spend with them if you have that promotion and the more responsibility? Oh, maybe not. And so it's explore where you want to go and really look at what is it that you want as the outcome? What is it you're trying to get to and which destination really gives you that the most? The I is for identify your options, because once we know where you're starting and once we know where you want to go, what are the different routes? So are you looking for the direct route? Are you looking for the scenic route? Do you want to make sure you stop and see the largest ball of twine in the world and anything else in the Guinness Book of World Records along the way? Do you need to stay places which are pet friendly? Do you have friends or family along the way? There isn't an answer. There's a what's the right answer for you right now. And part of that identify isn't just identifying the route. It's identifying how have you made your best decisions in the past. So when you look back on which decisions you've made that have been the most meaningful and fulfilling and satisfying, was it you made a list of pros and cons? Was it you listened to your gut? Was it that you turned to friends and family who know you well and said, what do you think? Like identify how you make your best choices and now use that to help identify which route you want. So begin where you are, explore where you want to go, identify how you make the choices and which choice is right for you as far as a route. And then the N is for now start, because I think it's all too often that we're trying to get it just right. And that's, you know, the trap of perfectionism or the I don't want to make a mistake. As opposed to if you know where you're starting, you know where you want to go and you know why you've chosen the route, there may be detours. So what? You still know what's important to you. And maybe you're on the way and it turns out there's an opportunity there that you weren't aware was going to be available. But if you know where you're trying to get to and why and why you chose the route, then you can make an informed decision. Do I want to actually maybe change course or no, just going to take the detour because it's here and I have to. And then I'm right back. And we can always change, but we have to start. Oh, that is so, so great. And I think what you are, are suggesting here with all of your information that this wisdom that has come out during the podcast here with you, Jonathan, is that now people need to reach out to you. That's where they need to start. They need to reach out to you. Uh, so how can they do that? Well, so I would say two things. One, reach out to me if I'm the right person for you. I think it's so important. And as we were talking about, you know, you do something different than I do. And what does someone need in a given moment? And that it's not even, you know, you can only do one thing, but look for different people. And so the only thing I want to finish with before I'm happy to share that information is the G in being, which is get your best life. And I don't right. My spelling was never my big thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I take it more as a compliment that you were so caught up in like <laughs> what it was that you were just rolling with it. Um, and 
I only want to come back to this because get your best life doesn't mean you're done, but it means too often we're so <clears throat> busy even after we've started that we just keep going because we're going and it's working, but we never actually stop and appreciate the difference and the changes we've made and consolidate what we've actually learned along the way. Because the whole point with this strategy is it's not a one and done. It's a strategy that you can now use for anything. And it works for, you know, nonprofits and businesses. Begin, explore where you want to go, identify the options, start, and then actually appreciate the difference and use that to triangulate anything more going forward. And so the way that people can get in touch with me, <clears throat> excuse me, something in my throat, um, is through my website. It's stepsalongtheway.global. Again, I'm a nomad, and I also work with people from anywhere and everywhere. If I can support you, I want to. And so it's stepsalongtheway.global, or sorry, sorry stepsalongtheway.global. And then the other piece is if you just want to hop on stepsalongtheway.global uh, slash schedule, then welcome anyone to just sign up for 30 minute absolutely complimentary consultation. Let's talk. Let's see, you know, if we're a good match, if I am not the best match for you, if I have any ideas for you, or if I can just even give you a little nudge in a direction that's helpful for you, happy to do it. Oh, that is so terrific. It is so great. And he, he is, Jonathan makes himself so available. I have to tell you guys, when I first spoke to Jonathan, because as he said, we have to be the right person for our clients and for each other. And I don't have people on the podcast that I don't feel good about, that don't have the energy that are the positive hopefulness, which is what I, we all are looking for, is more hope that we can have an awesome life. And so my guests and I really have to have some sort of rapport. And that comes with a pre-call. So he was in Portugal when we talked. And then a couple of weeks later, you are now where? I'm currently in Northwest Arkansas, near where I used to work. And from there, you're headed to? Most likely back to Brazil for a month or two. Uh, you know, so if you are interested in, in becoming a nomad and transitioning into something that you can be fulfilled with, that can really find your spark, be alive. Uh, and, and like John pointed out, he may not be the right person. I would may not be the right person, but by golly, there is somebody there for you. And that's what this podcast is all about. Take him up on his offer, because as you can hear, and if you come over to YouTube, you can see this wonderful gentleman who truly walks his talk. And that is something that not everybody does. I don't know if you realize that, guys, but not everybody walks their talk. So when you find somebody that does, Take a moment and listen. Be in that moment and recognize. So uh, any last words, any last messages, 
that you would like to share or? Yeah, I think the framework's there, but just I would double down on what you said of, you know, find whoever is right for you to give you the type of support you need in the moment. And we all need it at some point. Um, you know, we're not, uh, again, comes from my, you know, anthropology background, like humans did not grow up as, you know, species as being solo. We, you know, evolved to all have, you know, community and support around us. Culture is learned and shared and, you know, it's context. And so whatever it is that supports you, find that. And if it shifts, it shifts. But show up how you want to show up. Fantastic. And the fact is that each moment is a new moment. And it's okay. And the help that you might have needed yesterday may not be the help that you needed today. So it's okay to have a lot of resources in your pocket. Yeah. So, the way I, yeah. Sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. The way I think about it is like a safety net, right? Mm -hmm. And so the more strands that you can have in your net, actually, the more secure it is. Because if any one of them doesn't show up or like, you know, is a little more brutal at a given moment, it's not all reliant on that. So it's what are the different types of support that I have available as part of my safety net? So then I can go forward knowing that I have that behind me and that it's not that fragile. And and I call it a toolbox. And it it's all, you, you just need to have the right tool. You have that safety net that, and I love that analogy too, that safety net, because that, that lets you have all of that support underneath you. So even if one, and it might even be you <laughs> that is having that little uh, string release or break at the moment. You're not alone. You're not alone. And I that is fantastic. Well, Jonathan, thank you so, so, so much for being my guest on the Awesome Life podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure. And be sure be sure to reach out to Jonathan, uh, have that consultation. And of course, the information and the link will be in the show notes below. So, uh, and, and come over to YouTube and watch us on conversations. So until next time, and always be awesome. <laughs> <laughs>